When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menas, and I've got a massive show for you this time because we're going to look back at the Australian Cricket Awards night and touch on all the other cricket news. And joining me is a debutante on Cricket Unfiltered, and I'm actually really thrilled about this because I've been on his show many, many times, but he's never been on my show. So I'm welcoming from SEN and Cricket Australia broadcaster Damien Watson, Damien, finally, welcome on Cricket Unfiltered. Oh, real privilege, Menace. Thank you for having me. And it feels strange not being in the interviewer's seat, but I'm sure we'll enjoy a chat. It'll be back and forth, which is what I like. Exactly. Well, let's start um, with the, the cricket headlines. And I want to get into the Australian Cricket Awards night. And I have to say, right off the bat, I felt sorry for my podcast rivals, the great cricketers, because they had a lot of jokes and a lot of them bombed, you know, it's a tough room and I reckon, uh, it, yeah, a lot of, they just threw all these jokes at the cricketers and they had, had nothing to say. So feel sorry for my cricket podcasting uh, comrades, the great cricketers, because, boy, they, they had a tough night. Um, did you watch the broadcast, Damien? Yeah, I did. And look, I think it's a tough gig regardless of whether you're hosting or whether you are, I guess, meant to be the comedian of the night. I remember mm. Vince Arendt. About 20 years ago, he was the comedian for the night at the Allen Border Medal back in the wow. day when Channel 9 used to do it. And when it's Slats, a hard when Slats got up there? Slats got, was that when Slats got up there after a few No, uh, that was a few years earlier. That's when he got up with Jimmy Barnes and David Campbell, I reckon, when he had a few yeah. too many and uh, sang K-Sam from memory um, wow. when they were doing a live performance. But, yeah, a few years after that, Vince Sorrenti got up and you could tell it's very, very hard to win over a cricketing crowd, I reckon, because you hear all sorts of stories and anecdotes that are funny amongst your team and the standards are pretty high, I reckon, when it comes to humour. Yes, and um, the great cricketers did the New South Wales Cricket Night last year and similarly it was a tough night for them. And I feel that they should maybe drop the bits when they're asked. Just ask the questions, boys, because some of the dumbest cricketers were just like, what do I say to your stupid joke? Um, anyway, um, that was the I first one. I the guys, to be honest with you. That's, that's I like them. They're great guys, fantastic guys, very good podcast. They're doing so well. Um, as I said, I just kind of felt sorry for them because I don't, I don't think they really know how to do those um, presentation nights. And I sort of saw them bomb at the New South Wales Cricket Awards. And I just don't know if their sarcastic sense of humour really translates to an awards night. Um, anyway, who am I to give the great cricketers notes? Uh, now, let's move on to the, the proper news of the night. Mitchell Marsh won the Allen Border Medal and Ash Gardner won the Belinda Clark Award. So let's start with Ash Gardner, the second time she's won the medal. And she's such a strong all-round con contributor to the side. But really what stood out to me when I, I looked at her stats from the year, it was her bowling that was the streets ahead of everyone else. In Test cricket, she took 17 wickets at 16.64 
Uh, best figures of eight for 66 to bowl Australia victory in the Ashes Test. She took 21-day international wickets and 19 T20 international wickets. She had some pretty handy contributions to the bat, and that's one hell of a year. Oh, absolutely, and it's been highlighted, obviously, by the fact that she was offered such a large amount in the women's IPL competition as well. But, you know, with the performances on the field, rightly so, and she seems to go about it in a pretty affable type of way. She seems to enjoy her cricket and take it in her stride as well, and I think that's an important factor. Uh, I know there's a certain amount of natural ability one has to have, but she seems to be at ease out there and continues to improve all the time, as you said, and it's been reflected in her figures. And she's probably probably one of the main attributes from my perspective with watching her. She has stood up on occasions when the Australian team has been down. Uh, she's probably a player that does lift when the chips are down, and that's always the ultimate test. And that doesn't always happen, even among some of the great cricketers mm. that have played for our country. What magnificent capabilities she has, though, to uh, to be such an outstanding batter over the last few years and then to kind of drop off a little this year. I think she only scored one half century across um, all the, the formats in the year, but to then be so dominant with the ball, I mean, that's such a, you know, that's such a great a skill to have, even though you might be having a, a little bit of a leaner patch with the bat, to be taking so many wickets, it's it's just phenomenal skill and yeah, she was um, the the clear the clear winner. She won by thirteen points. Elise Perry was second with one hundred and thirty four votes. So Ash Garden had one forty seven. Elise Perry one thirty four, and then Annabelle Sullivan one oh six. And then there's a bit of a gap to Phoebe Litchfield. Um, no surprises to see Elise Perry there. She's always there or thereabouts. But great to see Annabelle Sutherland. Um, up up near the the top of the awards list there, and she's come on in leaps leaps and bounds, and yeah, I think she's a great cricketer to watch. Yeah, absolutely, and we've seen her here in Victoria, where I am, rise through the junior ranks, and obviously progress through to the international side at quite a young age. And I think there were people that were questioning. I guess many critics out there questioning whether she should have been brought in at such a young age, but she's responded so well. And I think, you know, we've got such a dearth of all-rounders, don't we, in that women's mm. cricket side for Australia. And that's been one of the great linchpins of their success. And I know they've probably been tested to a degree. I reckon the last 12 months, Ben, as I'm not sure if you would agree, we've probably seen the greatest amount of resistance for a while towards the Australian team. The Aussies are still a benchmark, but... I think we've seen probably a great level of competition, which is good for the women's game because you don't want a dominant team smashing everyone else. And I think that's where you get to see probably greater exposure amongst the younger players to pressurise cricket. And I think that augurs well down the track because if they're surrounded by a champion team that's winning all the time, whilst it's great to have that exposure to winning, you want to see them compete under pressure. And Annabelle Sutherland has done that, I think. And, yeah, so many all-rounders, men, as you can make a stick out of. I mean, I think it's, and I think you're right that Australia has come back to the pack a little bit. And, you know, it can't be understated. I mean, there was a significant shift in the team. Matthew Mott left to coach England's white ball set up a couple of years ago. Meg Lanning is now retired. And now, you know, you've got Elisa Healy as the skipper with a few of, you know, the players getting a bit older. So it is a sort of team in transition. And also, you know, they have that unenviable position of, you know, they've always got teams coming after them, you know, because they're the number one team, you know, everyone's striving to beat them. Everyone um, is lifting. So, I, yeah, I agree with you that, um, you know, they've certainly come back to the pack a little bit and that's not an insult. But, um, you know, I think Meg Lanning's batting has left a big hole. Yeah, I think so. But, again, it gives other players opportunities and I think it is important to regenerate and, the other thing too, I mean, we've seen at these awards nights in the past, but as so many domestic players, when they announce a domestic player of the year, they could easily have a spot in that Australian side. You think of players mm. like Wally Strato was a domestic player of the year a few years ago. Georgia Redmayne, who was the Betty Wilson Young Player of the Year award winner back in 2018, I reckon. And, you know, in recent years, they've struggled to get into the Australian side. So, it just goes to show there's a lot of depth there still. And I think it at least probably one of the positive points of a couple of the senior players moving on, it does give other players opportunities. And even some of those senior players that have struggled for the last few years, they still struggle to get in because you've got the younger players coming through as well that you want to expose uh, to international cricket. So it's, it's a hard yeah. balance to make in its own way. It's a good problem to have, though. 
No, you're absolutely right, and it's a, it's a great um, there's a great talent pool coming up. All right, so the Belinda Clark winner was Ash Gardner. Now the big award of the night, the Alan Border Medal. Uh, Mitch Marsh was the winner, and he he was streets ahead of the next um, vote getter. So Mitch Marsh had two twenty three votes, and then Pat Cummins had one forty four votes, and Steve Smith was third with one forty one votes. So a big win from Mitch Marsh. And I was sort of thinking about it. He had the advantage of playing a lot of um, a lot of cricket in the year, Mitch Marsh. Like he didn't miss many games. Pat Cummins yeah. missed quite a lot of white ball cricket where Marsh would have got a lot of votes. But that was a, a huge win. And, you know, he made a tearful acceptance speech. He said, I'm a bit fat and I like a beer. And he made a heartfelt tribute to Pat Cummins and Andrew McDonald for backing him. And he said um, they see the best in him. Well, you know, I think a, a a lovely, a lovely night to see Mitch Marsh win that. Like that was a special moment because he's been such a divisive figure and has had so many struggles. Um, were you surprised that he won so easily? To a degree, but I don't know. We haven't had too many standouts with the bat. I was expecting a bowler to prevail, given we mm. have such a strong attack from an Australian point of view. I mean, the cherry on top of the cake would have been if Mitch Marsh had made that century in the Boxing Day test. Of course, he got to 96 and was dismissed, and you just think, oh, that would have been the cherry on top of the cake. But what a story. I mean, the renaissance that he had, obviously, coming back out of nowhere during the Ashes series to a degree. Uh, I think it's a great story of persistence. And the thing is, too, Ben, is I think a lot of Australians have admired him in recent times because he's copped all the criticism on the chin, and there was a fair bit of criticism. As you said, he was a maligned figure in that Australian cricket team when he was there. And probably the same can be said about his brother too, Sean. There's always <laughs> been having that name, obviously, doesn't help the pressure stakes to a degree. But I think Mitch has really responded to the pressure well. I think maybe given he's been through a great level of criticism for a long period of time, sometimes you get desensitised to it. And I think he played with a sense of freedom. Uh, over the last six months because, you know, the expectations. I think there was a certain element of the expectations being low about him when he came back into the Australian Definitely side. Definitely from the Maybe public. that helped him because, yeah, he, he played with a level of freedom. It's like, well, you know, I'm a maligned figure anyway. I may as well just go out there, play my natural game without much pressure, amount, without much condition. And sure enough, uh, he's won the hearts of Australians all over. And I think... The fact that he's copped it all on the chin as well, he's never really complained about it. He's never had that woe is me type of attitude when it comes to criticism. I think a lot of Australians resonate with that and admire him for that. Yeah, absolutely. He can certainly poke fun at himself and that's a great quality. He um, he also said during the speech that he just wanted one more crack at it, you know, going into that Ashes series. He just wanted one more crack at Test cricket and he got it and he took it with both hands. And, you know, you talk about uh, his aggressive intent. Well, I think he tells the story that Pat Cummins said to him before he you know, came back into the side, if you want to hit your first ball for six, do it. And so Cum- uh, Cummins and McDonald really backed in Marsh and he had a great year. He played eight Test matches, scored 630 runs with 105 five wickets um, at an average of 52.5. So um, batting average over 50, five wickets as well. That's a great year in Test cricket. Then one day internationals averaging almost 50 with two centuries and in 2020 internationals a high score of 92, averaging just a lazy 186 for the year. So so it is a phenomenal all-round performance from um, Mitch Marsh, you probably see Pat Cummins would have scored a lot higher in Test cricket, but Marsh is probably um, streaked ahead in the white ball stuff. And yeah, I thought it was one of the, the best acceptance speeches I've seen um, for a long time. He was so honest, he was so emotional, he was crying a lot, and um, yeah, just to see someone so genuinely happy. And you know, I grew up and watching you know Alan Border and Jeff Marsh play a lot of cricket together, and. To see Alan Border there to to give um, Mitch Marsh the medal, it was yeah, it was a beautiful night, and it was definitely the highlight. And you know, us as Australians, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into this. We, I guess, maybe it comes down not necessarily to tall poppy syndrome, but we have this 
sense of, I guess, not necessarily placing too much emphasis on awards and that sort of thing. Like it's not like mm. America, for instance, where there's this great reverence towards award winners, and rightly so. But uh, we don't tend to have that in Australia. So to actually see someone so honoured, usually, you know, when people win an award, some of them they feel a little bit embarrassed and, you know, you've got to stay humble, that sort of thing, and just keep it low-key in regards to the accepted speech. To see someone so honoured to win it and to get so emotional, it was quite a refreshing change in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly um, added, add, adds more to the, the history of that night. So moving on with some of the other award winners, Elise Perry was named the Women's ODI and T20 Player of the Year. Great comeback for her after, you know, it seemed like the T20 team mm. was moving past her a couple of years ago. You know, there was talk her strike rate um, wasn't high enough, but we saw how close she got to actually winning the Belinda Clark Award and then she took out those two awards. Uh, Nathan Lyon won the Shane Warne's Men's Test Player of the Year Award. That was a bit of a surprise, I guess, because Usman Kawaja had won the ICC Test Player of the Year Award. Many felt that Usman would get the award. But I pulled um, Lyon's stats up and he took 57 test wickets in the voting period, did Nathan Lyon, at an average of 23.26. You add to that a match-winning performance in that Ashes Test at Edgbaston with the bat, um, certainly deserved winner, 57 wickets. Um, you know, our other Test Player of the Year contenders, Pat Cummins took 49 wickets at 27, and Usman Khawaja scored 1,201 runs at 42.89. But we really saw during the Ashes how valuable Nathan Lyon is, and, yeah, that's a great year, taking over 50 wickets. Yeah, and I think he's been pretty consistent. I guess there was an element of surprise too because he had that injury towards the back end of the Ashes series as well. And you can imagine what sort of impact he would have had there had he been able to continue and obviously came back well in time for the international summer here in Australia. But, yeah, I see your point in regards to his consistency and his record. Uh, Whereas, you know, with Usman Khawaja, maybe we didn't see that same level of consistency right throughout the 12-month period. But he keeps on keeping on, doesn't he, Nathan Lyon? Uh, He's a great Mm. story himself in the way that he obviously broke into the Australian lineup and very much a player that's still, I think, to a certain level, still improving and still enjoying his cricket as well. Uh, I think there's still, even though he's getting on a bit in age, still scope for improvement for him. And I think he seems to be enjoying the game as well, which is good to see. Absolutely. He seems to be getting better and better as he gets yeah. older and more experienced. And, and and that is normally the way with spinners. You get freaks like Shane Warne that come along and can bowl the house down when they're in their early 20s. But normally spinners like a fine wine mature over time. Other, yes, indeed. Maybe, um, well, hell, he was you know, four or five years older than um, Lyon went now when he made his debut. Um all right, Matt Short won the player of the tournament in the BBL. Uh, Chamari Atapatu was the WBBL player of the tournament, but that was announced when the WBBL ended. Matt Short, 541 runs in 11 matches at a strike rate of over 150, and he was nearly 200 runs ahead of the next most prolific player. So that was an incredible um, BBL season for Matt Short and someone who is going to be making his uh, Australian debut in Australia um, in the one day or against um, the West Indies at the MCG on Friday. So he's from Ballarat, so he'll be playing in front of a lot of mates and the first time he's ever played for Australia on home soil. And he's just someone that keeps getting better and better. He's had a great season, hasn't he? And I think he really did set up the foundation earlier on in the summer at domestic level. Remember, he had that great innings for Victoria against Queensland in Mackay in the Marsh One Day Cup game where he was hitting six all over the place around that great Barrier Reef arena and really did start off the summer in a blaze of glory at domestic level. And I think that set the platform up. I know he was sort of in and around of the Australian lineup anyway, but and and obviously in contention in selection uh, conversation too. But I think that start to the domestic summer really did set the foundation for a big BBL campaign. It's amazing what confidence can do in the early part of a domestic summer as well. And he does tend to be a great aggressor and plays his natural game across all three formats as well. Yeah, it's uh, one of the interesting subplots to this white ball series against the West Indies in one-day international T20 cricket, seeing a player like Matt Short play out there. 
Um, so yeah, that, so that was the um, Australian Cricket Awards night. Um, so Damien, I, I sort of love watching the Australian Cricket Awards night because you know it, it, it's it's one of those things that it, there's been some bad ones. There's no doubt about it, and it's, you know there's been some you know funny experiences. And but I think they got the formula right last night. It seemed to be all over within an hour and a half. They went through the awards pretty quickly. We had some really touching moments with Ash Gardner and Mitch Marsh. We, we got to pay tribute to Finchie, Sean Marsh, uh, David Warner. Who else retired? Did I forget someone? I think that was the three, wasn't it? Um, and well, I probably forgot someone. And also, um, you know, I just thought it was a good one. I thought it was a good Cricket Awards night. I'm going to give it a an A. Keep it simple, stupid's the old formula, mm. isn't it? Uh, the kiss principle. And I think uh, that's what they did. Keep it about the cricket, the awards that, you know, you don't want too many dig the trees talking or, and I think the tributes, one of the favorite things for me growing up when I used to watch it were some of the tribute pieces too. I think that's mm. always very special to look at. And it makes you appreciate not only the history of the game, but the standing and, and the significance of what players are achieving. Cause you know, you get caught up in, statistics and selection discussion of performances and we probably don't reflect on the good things that are being done out in the cricket field, uh, both men and women. So, yeah, I think a good premise for any awards night is to keep it simple, make it about the cricketers. You know, mm. I, I don't think you need too many histrionics. Yep, yeah, it's a good one. All right, we're going to take our first break and then we'll be back. So I want to run my doomsday scenario past Damien Watson. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menners, and I've got a special guest, Damien Watson, from SEN and Cricket Australia broadcaster. And Damien, look, there's been a lot of positivity on this show recently. Obviously, Australia having such a good year last year. And since Australia won the World Cup, it's all been, you know, roses on this podcast. So, you know, I'm throwing that out the window because um, Robert Craddock wrote an article, and this is his quote. If you want to play the contrarian, you could say the fine print is not as pretty as the silverware in that Australia has only won eight of its last 16 tests and one of its last four tests and only won one of its last four test series. So that's from Robert, Robert Craddock. And, and this is my scenario, Damien. Australia's got a really big two years ahead of it. It's got this tour to New Zealand coming up, which is important, you know, you know, an important series. Then, you know, they're the last World Test Championship holders. Then we go next summer, we have India here for five tests, and then the summer after that we have Bazball morons coming here for the Ashes. So I, I'm worried that this team could just turn the corner from being very good to being a bit over the hill and – Bang, we get nailed over the next couple of years. So I'm going, to, I want, I'm going to go down the team. I'm going to paint you my doomsday scenario and I want you to let me know what you think. So firstly, Kawaja, he's done amazing, but at some point he's just going to get too old and we won't know when that is. So what if that starts now? And so the next two years, Kawaja's on a slow decline. Do you think that could happen? Well, there's always that possibility, but I have faith in him. I think the fact that he's had a bit of a downward period, you know, four or five years ago where he was out 
of the Australian lineup. I think he has probably taken a lot of experience and a lot of stock out of that period and worked on his game and probably learned to enjoy the game even more. So I have faith in him to continue on. I mean, there's still I think there's still a good four or five years ahead. I think we probably get into that discussion because of, you know, a lot of people have been critical of Steve Smith's performances recently and wondering whether he could get back to his mm. pinnacle with the bat. So I think I think there's that natural inclination to try yeah. and make that attachment towards Kawaja as well. Now, I have full faith uh, in him to probably So you think you'll maintain his form? You think you'll average, you know, yeah. plus 40 as an opener, so? I think so. I have confidence in him. There's always going to be the possibility. I mean, we're talking in, in mm. hypotheticals here. There's always going to be the possibility. I mean, this this is the doomsday to... scenario, Damien. Yeah. <laughs> everything blows up in our face. Okay, so so Kawaja gets too old, fades away. That's the first thing. Damien's backing him, though. Second, Steve Smith, you're right. So his, his average has been slowly declining. He's now moved up to open to reinvigorate his career. What if that doesn't work? I personally think it will work, and I'm not worried about Smith. Are you worried? No, I have faith in him as well. So, gee, I sound like too positive, don't I? Uh, no, I, th- I have That's faith right. in him to I'm reinvigorate his form. And look, you've got to remember, he, you know, ultimately in that second innings against the West Indies, he was the only one to really stand up for a sustained period of time where the pressure was on. So, you know, mm. had they won that game and Hazelwood didn't get out, he would have beat Hale the hero. So I know it was against, you know, weaker opposition than what we've usually become accustomed to, but, hey, the Windy still won the Test match. So you can only come up against the game situations that you can come up against, and that was a pressurised situation. So I have faith in him to reinvigorate his form. Uh, okay. I still worry about the depth, though. I think overall, maybe in five years down the track of the batting pedigree in Australia, I don't know if we have the same depth as we did 20 years ago. I mean, I'm probably going on a tangent nice. here, but no, you know, a lot of people have been talking about Harris and, and Renshaw and Bancroft. Bancroft's probably been the most consistent out of the three, in my view. Renshaw is a very elegant player, even though he looks like a big, stocky, physical player who can smash the ball, and he can. He's actually quite elegant. But uh, we haven't seen necessarily 100 after 100 from him. Scored a good 100 against Victoria earlier in the season. And Marcus Harris scored a big 100 against Tassie, but I'm not sure if... You know, a lot of people probably had expectations that he was going to score 100 after 100, and that hasn't necessarily happened to you know, the extent that we thought. So, uh, you know, I don't know if we have as many players knocking on the door when Smith, I know Labashade's still got a fair bit of cricket ahead of him, but he's not in the best of form either. So uh, I think that's the thing I'm worried about. That's, well, that's even a bigger doomsday scenario. So this team goes to shit and there's no one coming <laughs> through. Uh, I, I think, I think. I've got more faith that there's a lot of white ball cricketers coming through. So maybe some of them will have to, to come into the test side. But, you know, I look at young players like uh, Jake Fraser McGurk, Nathan McSweeney. You know, I think they're sort of players to watch in the future. But I agree. I think Harris has unfortunately probably missed his boat. Uh, I, I think it'll, as this team changes, he'll just be a little too old. Maybe not. You know, and he's a great guy. I hope he has a chance. I'm not sure Bancroft can step up. But I do think we'll see the return of uh, Matty Renshaw. Okay, so 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 far I'm saying Kawaja could be fucked. You're saying he's going to be okay. We're both backing Smith. Labashane, okay. So he's averaged 35 in the last year. He's clearly on a bit of a decline. Teams have kind of found him out. They're bowling to him just short of a length outside off stump and he's edging a lot of them and they're actually catching them this time. Hmm. Look, I... I would like Manus to turn it round, and I guess my one positive about this, and I know it's a doomsday scenario, but if 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 he's struggling at the moment and he's still able to average, you know, thirty five at number three during a lean patch, I think that's not too bad as a number. So if he can come back now, I think obviously he'll need to, but there's just no guarantees he will. So. If he doesn't come back, we just can't carry a number three averaging 30 at test level. Yeah, that's right. But I think he can come back. See, I'm ever the optimist, uh, Menas. Uh, he just needs to reinvent his game. I mean, I think you're right to an extent that some of the bowlers have found him out. They've done their homework on him, you know, because it was sort of a meteoric rise about four or five years ago, wasn't it, where he was scoring mm. big hundreds and 
I think eventually after about 18, I think every batsman probably goes through this, batter rather, in men's and women's as well. You go through an 18 months to two-year period if you storm onto the scene and you play a very good brand of cricket. But if you don't reinvent the wheel to a certain level, you're going to get found out. So I think that's the big test, isn't it? That's where the champions uh, separated from the rest of the pack is if you're going to have sustained periods of success, you've always got to evolve your game. I think that yeah. comes down to how well he's going to be coached um, and the one-on-one work that's done with him. So I think if the coaching staff do well with him and he reinvents his game a little bit and he's flexible in the mind, uh, I think he can turn things around. If he doesn't know, we are going to be struggling against India and just England in Australia. Yeah. And then there's Cameron Green at number four, completely untested at number four at test level. An exceptional shield record batting in the top order. I do have grave concerns that he's vulnerable early and that is going to be more brutally exposed at test level than it is at shield level because at shield level, the bowling, you might get a bit of time to settle in. At test level, there's no time to settle in. If you're a bit sluggish with your footwork, they're going to be on to you from the first time you get out there. So um, Cameron Green is an, an X factor. You know, will he come good at number four? I think he has to do a bit of work to get there. Um, but, but you know, that, that that's, you know, we've got down to number four and, you know, things aren't looking good in my doomsday scenario. So then we go to Travis Head. He's a dasher, so he's rocks and diamonds. Score 100 off 100 balls and a pair of golden ducks. Um, And then number six, Mitch Marsh. Now, I know we've just been praising him, but let's be honest, he's had a very mediocre test career in the past and he had a purple patch at test level in around 2017. It was actually 2017 because he came back into that Ashes um, team and scored a couple of hundreds, I think, one at Wacker and one at the SCG. And then he went to South Africa and uh, within two tests, I think he'd been dropped because he'd, he'd mm. form and already dipped away again. So, again, Mitch Marsh is very up and down. So that's the top six for the next couple of years, Damien. I mean, and it, the way I frame it, it looks pretty shaky. Yeah, I think there's certainly cause for – that hypothesis that there's some vulnerability there, I agree with that. Um, I think it comes down again to the depth of what's happening at domestic level because you've got to ensure that there's a bit of pressure on these players to keep maintaining big scores and, and obviously keep maintaining their form. And even I'm just trying to think from a middle order point of view out there, is there, there a dearth of players, men, is that uh, probably... I know you mentioned Fraser McGurk and those types of players who are big power hitters, but I don't know if you can necessarily translate that to test level yet. For instance, yeah. it's probably more in the uh, shorter formats of the game. Do we have many middle-order players that can really be that X factor at shield level? Bar Cam Green, as you said, who's sort of had yeah. to come back from the ranks again. Well, there's certainly no one from New South Wales bashing the door down. I mean, there's a couple of young players. Aaron Hardy is one to watch. He's he's done really well, made a century in the Shield final. You've also got, um, as I said, I really like Nathan McSweeney from South Australia. I think he's he's got a very good proper technique. So I think he could do well at test level. So they're what's behind. So what I'm saying is if that batting lineup fails to fire, the next two years is going to be very difficult. Alex Carey, I think, has bounced back from a form slump. And then I'm not worried about the bowling. But doomsday scenario with the bowling, you know, at one stage they're just going to get a bit old. It won't be Cummins, but it'll be Stark and Hazelwood first. So when does that happen? And, and Damien, do you remember the 2015 Ashes Tour? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Australia went there as heavy favourites and then all of a sudden they just looked too old. Ryan Harris retired in the tour game. Brad Haddon retired after the second test. Shane Watson retired. Uh, Michael Clark retired. Like, you can go on that bit too long. And that and that's my doomsday scenario for this team is they just edge over that age threshold at a bad time. You know, you, you naturally, the best time is at the end of that Ashes um, home series if a few players retire then because that gives us time to – renew the team before the next away ashes. But um, will you be able to sleep at night now that I've painted that picture, Damien? Yeah, I'll be able to sleep at night. I need some more sleep. No, I'm not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to. <laughs> I've worried. I've concerned myself. Look, I think 
I know we can be very critical of the way uh, the Australian cricket is run, but I think when you look over the last, let's say, 30 years, Benners, you know how we had that long run? I know cricket was very popular in the 80s, but we had that long run of mediocrity <laughs> mm, <laughs> in the gosh. Australian team. You know, it probably went for a good period of, say, I reckon at least seven or eight years before the 89 Ashes series. And I suppose it was that World Cup final victory at 87 as well, where things turned around a little bit towards the back end of the 80s. But for a lot of that decade, we were pretty ordinary mm. against a lot of cricketing nations. I think we've been able, we probably had patches, bad patches of three to four years. But even within certain periods of mediocrity, there's been some successes there. You mentioned 2015, the poor Ashes series. There was a World Cup final victory in there yeah. on home soil, you know, and, you know, 20, I know we had that period in 2017-18, we won the Ashes series at home, but there were some very poor performances. And even, you know, you go back in 2016, we lost to Sri Lanka, didn't we, on their yeah, home well, soil. So, I don't think we've been a good tour against South Africa. So things yeah. things go through peaks and troughs. Mm, so I, don't I, I, a good, I don't think we've been a good touring team for a while. And no, we I haven't. If you, as I said, if uh, and I've I've said this before, you know, put the totality of what this Australian cricket team does is they're very good across all the formats. You know, you know, as you you know, win a World Cup last year, win a T Twenty World Cup two years ago, win the World Test Championship, but just in isolation, you know, the Border Gavaskar Trophy next summer is super important. Australia haven't held that trophy for ten years, so it would be about time for us to win it back. You know, this is where you know. Five matters. I hope no one will be cheering for the opposition during that test series. And then the the season after, you know, Stokes and his baseball lunatics are going to come here desperate to beat us after the Johnny Bairstow incident. So it is a huge two years. And I could not stand it if Stokesy and his mob come here and walk away with the ashes. So all I'm saying is I really hope what I, the, the picture I painted doesn't, um, transpire, and I think this tour of New Zealand is really important because two test matches there, if Australia loses that series, I think we could see changes for the, the test series against India, whereas if we win the series, I think they'll probably try and keep it pretty stable. So, I, look, I think there's a lot at stake, and um, whilst um, Australian cricket's in a healthy position, the test side in in isolation there's just a few question marks looming over it. Yeah, I think, look, I wonder what sort of positive confidence effect the Ashes win, well, I guess the Ashes, yeah, victory on on the English soil would have uh, going forward, you know, the fact that they can win away from home because there was a long period, as you said, where we really struggled away from mm-hmm. home. And I guess there's still that question mark, but... You know, I know it was in the one-day format, but even beating India on their own home soil in the World Cup final, I wonder if that changes things a little bit, whether that mm, might be a pendulum swinging effect. Well, I think more from a confidence point of view, because we struggled in the Test yeah. Series, obviously, earlier last year, and we've struggled there for a while, really, going back to 2004 when we won that series over there. That was probably the last time. So, you know... <laughs> I think maybe that could be a positive effect, but you're right about the New Zealand series because this is probably the first time we've gone over there for quite a while. And mm. uh, I know they were very disappointing when they came here, the Kiwis back in 2019. There were a lot of raps that this was the best New Zealand team to tour Australia since, uh, you know, Richard Hadley's mob in 1985, you know, and they ended up producing a stinker, let's be honest. So I think the fact that uh, we're going over to New Zealand and the conditions are a little bit different, more conducive. Swinging around. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, I wonder if that will be uh, – there will be quite an adaption required. And I think it will be a big test because New Zealand is still quite a quality outfit compared to, say, you know, 10 to 15 years ago when I think they struggled for depth. They had one or two good batsmen, one or two good bowlers, and that was it. Indeed. And I just think generally Australia has an aura in white ball cricket. When they get into major competitions, you know, other teams fear them. And that's why we're able to win 650 over World Cups, you know, a T20 World Cup. But I just think the aura of our test side kind of slipping. Anyway, moving on. So Damien Watson will not be able to sleep tonight. I hope the listeners can. Um, now, I don't sleep anyway, but as I've done yeah, many overnight shifts over the years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, moving right along. Australia won, the Australian women's team won their T20 series against South Africa. So on the on the weekend, 
South Africa beat Australia for the first ever time in a, in a white ball international. But then Australia bounced back to win the series 2-1. Beth Mooney had food poisoning but still smashed 82 off 55 balls as Australia chased South Africa's challenging total of seven for 162 with four balls to spare. There's a three-match ODI series starting on Saturday at Adelaide Oval, and uh, they're playing at North Sydney Oval next week, so I'm going to be going out and covering some of those games for the podcast. Um, And uh, interestingly today, Meg Lanning spoke to the media because she and Rachel Haynes are going to be um, recognised on Saturday at this one-day international fixture, and it will give Meg a chance to to say a proper goodbye to the teammates and to the fans um, because she's never really got that proper send-off. So Rachel Hange and Meg Lanning have made such a huge contribution to uh, women's cricket in so many facets. Uh, they're going to have a real chance to be sent off in the in the right style. And um, there was a few interesting questions. Um, she said she hasn't really had a chance to look back on her career. Um, she's been too busy doing other things. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's lovely that they're going to honour Meg and Rachel in that fashion. Yeah, absolutely. And she's still been, I've been to a couple of um, Victorian WNCL games. She's still been around the group even when she wasn't playing. So uh, I think she's pretty keen on the mentoring side of things. I guess it just comes down to, obviously, look, she's been in the system for a long period of time and she's probably achieved everything that needs to be achieved in world cricket, hasn't she? She came into the captaincy role at such a young age. So a marvellous career. She's a name that transcends the sport. Even if you don't follow cricket, you know who Meg Lanning is. Probably Elise Perry would be in that camp as well. And, yeah, you can't discount the contribution that she's made. She seems to be the type that leads by example as well. Very professional. You know, I always remember some of those shots, particularly the six-over cover. You know, she made it look so easy. Uh, she had every facet, but, you know, every stroke in the book really uh, covered and did it in such a clinical way with the bat at international level. So it's good to see that tribute. One thing I want to raise with you, men, is the crowds. Now, mm. you know, I watched uh, the match between Australia and South Africa at Bell Reeve or Bloodstone Arena in Hobart. There weren't too many people there. Just comparing to, maybe it's wrong to compare to other countries, but when Australia toured India, the women's team, around that Christmas time period. I know the test matches, you know, you don't naturally don't get as much of a crowd anyway compared to limited overs, but some of those limited overs games, the stadiums were almost full. And even in England, when they toured for the Ashes last year, we had massive crowds at some of the women's matches. Here, I know we're coming up against a, a, you know, a less quality opponent in South Africa, although they did manage to beat Australia in a game, as you said. Do we market it well enough? Is it just is it to do with the public or is it just the quality of opposition that turns people away? Because, you know, the Matildas got a statue. I'm not trying to denigrate their achievement, by the way, but they, they got a statue for finishing fourth, albeit a big tournament in the FIFA World Cup, which is recognised worldwide. But the Aussie women's cricket team have been a global force in the sport for a long period of time, but we don't see too many big crowds at some of their matches. I don't know. Does it come down to scheduling? Does it come mm. down to where they play the matches? There's a lot of games in Canberra that they've played, at, you know, Hobart, the smaller cities, I guess, in population. What, what are your thoughts on that? It felt to me like a very packed schedule this summer because Australia got back from the World Cup late, the test matches were moved back, and you know, Australia started this series against South Africa in the, in the women's game and, you know, they were coming up against the end of the Big Bash, the the test against the West Indies. They just don't think a lot of attention has been paid to them. But, you know, it's hard for me because I'm such in the cricket bubble. You know, obviously I know all the matches are coming, but they probably haven't been marketed well enough, um, Damien. Like, um, and I'll be interested to see what crowds they get in Sydney because that's a, a sort of a real test because this is a bit of a heartland for women's cricket. And when they play at North Sydney Oval, uh, normally they draw pretty good crowds. So, yeah, um, I'll be interested to see how they do next week. You know, obviously schools have gone back, so it's the end of school yeah. holidays, so it's not quite as easy to take your kids along. And one thing Meg Lanning said in her press conference today that one thing she's really noticed is how many young people come to see women's cricket now. You know, young boys and girls are always there watching the game. Um, so you I guess there wouldn't be quite that opportunity at the moment. Schools in Queensland went back last week. They've you know, followed suit across the country. So maybe that's it. Um, but I agree. They should be better. 
Well, I remember watching some of the games during the Ashes period there, the limited overs games between Australia and England, and they were getting 20,000 to some games. Mm. You know? uh, that is the Ashes. I think if the Ashes... I know. Do you reckon we get 20,000 to an Ashes match here? I'd like to think we would, but mm, I'm not sure if we would. It's interesting. Um, I'd like to think we would. Uh, they, they, when do we play the... Aren't they coming next year? Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably uh, maybe being a little bit harsh because when England came in early 2022, the women's team, they, remember yeah. they played the test match in Canberra and there were a few other games as well. We were just coming out of COVID, remember, yeah. and the wave was coming through around that time. Yeah. So but remember the, they weren't, we had that great test match in Canberra and there weren't many people there. So maybe it is too harsh a judgment. I think when they come around the next time for the Ashes, that'll be the big litmus test in regards mm. to crowds. Indeed. Yeah, but they should have a statue. If the Matildas get one, they should get one. They're like the, the yeah. it's been the best sports team in the world. I mean, I don't know who you'd put with your bronze Meg Lanning or something. Um, anyway, all right. Last bit of news um, in the women's game. Fortunately, sad news has come out about Lauren Cheetle. Um, yeah. She will have to miss the women's Premier League in India. She'd been picked up and was going to make a debut there. And she's also going to miss the rest of the domestic summer and international summer because she's had to have a skin cancer removed from her neck. From her neck. Um, she's, she's had problems with skin cancer before. She had one on her leg in 2021. So that's really sad news, Damien, because she's worked so hard to get back. You know, she's had injuries as well as this health setback. And, um, you know, she did so well, made a test in India um, was late last year, made a test debut in India and then, you know, getting picked up for the WPL, playing international cricket and now to be uh, out again. Um, yeah, it's a big blow. Yeah, that's right. She's had a bit of a renaissance, hasn't she, over the last six months? Remember it was about, well, it would have been back in 2016, 17, she was around the Australian mm, setup, correct me if exactly. I'm wrong, and then she was out of the conversation injury. for such a long period of time. Yeah, as you said, a lot of injuries, but, you know, a lot of uh, players have had injuries. You look at Taylor Valemic, who, you know, it's good to see her back playing WNCL cricket as well after such an unlucky, wretched run of injuries too. So it does happen, you know, sometimes players get forgotten about in the discussion and, and she probably was forgotten about for a period of time there. So it's great to see her in the last six months with this renaissance getting back into form and then uh, this happens. It's, it's such a real shame. And apparently a real passionate cricket lover too. Like uh, I yes. think a lot of New South Wales players say, you know, she'll be watching the Sheffield Shield. She'll watch any form of cricket and she absolutely loves the game. An absolute cricket, cricket snuff, I think they call her. So, yeah, it's a real shame. She came on the show actually um, a few years ago. All right, we're going to take our final break. Then we'll be back to wrap it up with some Sheffield Shield news and can't let it go. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Manazan with Damien Watson. And, well, this is a happy time for me, Damien, because... You know, the real the real cricket resumes. The Sheffield Shield starts this weekend. Um, so on Saturday, Victoria hosts South Australia, Queensland hosts Tasmania, and Western Australia hosts New South Wales. But there has been some disappointing news. Will Bukowski will miss this game due to delayed concussion sy- symptoms from a blow he received during the state's second 11 game last week in Adelaide. So another setback for Will Pukowski. You know, we just before the break discussed Lauren Cheadle. It's very similar to Will Pukowski. But, you know, I guess, Damien, I would think now, and I think they're already doing this, that it'll be a very cautious approach with Will going forward, whether he plays cricket or not. Yeah, look, he's shown to be a very good analyst in the media, so maybe that could be uh, something he does in the interim because he was very good. It took a a break, obviously, from the game last summer as well and fulfilled that role very, very well. So, yeah, I really think it does come down to, you know, do they... 
it's it's a complex one because it's happened so often. Does it come down to you know looking at the finer points such as his technique? I mean, we know he's such a talented player, um, but it just seems to happen over and over again. You really feel for him, you know. Is there ways that you can mitigate this? I suppose I'll be looking at that at nauseum, looking at his technique. Maybe it is just bad luck. I don't know. How do you how do you approach that sort of thing? Yeah, it's also I guess now that he's been struck so often he's hypersensitive to it and it's yeah it's just a really concerning situation so he won't be playing but um the the, the shield is pretty much um there's still a lot of cricket to be played every team's played six games Tasmania are on top but then Western Australia are just a point and a half behind Victoria have done well they're only two points behind Western Australia then New South Wales and South Australia about five points behind Victoria and then Queensland are at the bottom of the table. So, look, I think Queensland, they're probably going to struggle to make the Shield final now. It's just going to be too difficult. They'd have to win all four games, which can happen. But apart from that, all other five teams are in the race. And, you know, when you look at Tasmania at the top, Western Australia have been so strong. And then uh, perennial powerhouses, Victoria and New South Wales, um, in the middle of the table there, it's actually quite an interesting climax to the Shield. And and I think it's something you touched on before. I actually think there's a lot of broader context um, importance for this run home as this test side starts to get a bit older. It's incumbent on players in the Shield to, to bash the door down and, as you say, put pressure on a player like Marnus Labuschagne to say, well, if you're going to average 35 at test level, I'm going to average 60 at Shield cricket and you're going to have to pick me. And, uh, you know, that's what Cameron Green did and, uh, you know, that's the challenge for a youngster now. Well, that's it. I'm really looking forward to the climax and I think it's been probably understated as to the effect that Tasmania has had on the competition as well, because coming into the summer, Menas, I mean, they lost Jackson Bird mm. and Peter Siddle went back to their respective you know, states. And, you know, Ben McDermott, obviously going back to Queensland as well. So, you know, they had a few big departures and they had quite a few injuries coming into the domestic summer as well. I think uh, even Nathan Ellis wasn't really around the it's setup true. in the early stages because he had Australian commitments. So they really have. I've been really pleasantly surprised at how they've gone so far in the domestic summer. I know there's still a long way to go, but I think that doesn't really get enough credit in cricketing circles. I think Jeff Vaughan and, and the coaching staff deserve a fair bit of credit for the way that they've managed this team and blooded a lot of the young players as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Jackson Bird said to me on the podcast that he – he was leaving Tasmania because he wanted to win silverware and he's coming to New South Wales. Well, um, Paul Jackson Bird, he went to Tasmania, I think, the year after they won the Shield and they mm. never won the Shield when he was there and then he's left and now Tasmania at the top of the table. Uh, I'm sure his teammates are going to remind him of that as well. Yeah. <laughs> his former teammates anyway. So yeah. that's the Sheffield Shield start this Saturday and uh, keep an eye on it. And last bit of news, uh, David Warner jetted off to the ILT20 after his triumphant retirement from Test Cricket. And it wasn't a successful spell for the Dubai Capitals. He made just 58 runs in five matches at an average of 11, and he didn't even get to a strike rate of 100. So pretty shocking return for him. And I would say probably just very deflated after um, his Test summer and there's the SAT20 going on at the moment. And I've been keeping a, a sort of half an eye on these tournaments, Damien, but not too closely. It's not very interesting, really. What are the standards like from what you've observed? Because, you know, there was a lot of controversy surrounding, obviously, what happened with South Africa and the mm. test select a lot of the players favouring the T20 tournament. How do they compare, do you reckon, with the Big Bash? And I suppose the Big Bash is probably a good comparison, boys. We know the IPL is obviously the pinnacle and yeah. you've got the 100, which is rising as well in the UK. We're, look, the Big Bash is probably middle of the road these days. How do you, how do you think they compare? I think the Big Bash is a good tournament and we have a lot of strong domestic players, but the SAT20 probably has quite a few more international stars. They pay a lot of money and it's a shorter time span. And the ILT20, from what I've seen, to be hit and miss, a bit like the Big Bash, but clearly David Warner found it pretty difficult. Um, Mm. All right, so that is all the cricket headlines. Now, Damien, we're going to wrap it up with Can't Let It Go, which is a little segment where uh, you've got to 
just give me a little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. Now I'll go first. I'm gonna. I've got my cricket. I've got two bits of cricket news, two bits of weird cricket stuff. So the first one is, it's weird watching cricket on Amazon Prime because the Australian under nineteen, sorry, the Australian under nineteen team is playing at the moment in the World Cup, and I'd forgotten the World Cup was on, and then I'd forgotten that the cricket was on Amazon, and I've got Amazon Prime, so I was watching the the Australia England clash on Amazon Prime last night. And it just made me realise how fragmented I think cricket broadcasting is going to come. Uh, you know, you've got some stuff on KO, you've got some stuff on Amazon, there'll be some stuff on YouTube. It's just, it, it's not the same as it used to be. Like, it's it's almost easy to forget something's on because you just won't see it. We've always had like a little bit of fragmentation. Remember 2005 Minners, uh, the one-day series, because everyone had low expectations for the Ashes, ironically enough. Uh, Channel 7 only paid for the one-day tournament and the one T20 that was played, and then the Test Series was on SBS. And we know that Fox obviously covered a lot of the overseas tournaments and Channel 9 always did the home summers, didn't they, from an Australian point of view. But it's going to get more and more fragmented, and I think it's a real test for sport in general, not just cricket. Because, you know, we see it's probably been successful in the US. We know that they have, I think it's the Thursday night game over there and the NFL is on Amazon and then there's a certain amount on CBS and there's, you know, the Monday night one I think is on ESPN. So it's fragmented all over the world. But it probably is a test, at least in Australia, because I think it's been different in Australia compared to maybe overseas where they've had cable networks for a longer period of time because we've always associated a sport with a certain network. And we've and seen a network usually as well. Yeah, and we've seen, you know, it's been a bit of a struggle, I think. The EPL always has a big following in Australia, right? And uh, that's always the premium product. That's on Optus. You have the Champions League, which is also a very good product on stand. And then you have the A-League, which has really struggled for relevance because it's on Paramount. It's fragmented. Back mm. in the day, you used to have all of those three on Fox and you'd have it all in one package. Cost of yep. living is a big deal now, Menas, and people can't afford to pay for all of these different streaming services. So exactly. I think it's sure you get the money, um, and, and I can understand why you take the money from, from a variety of sources that might pay for one game, et cetera, or one particular mm. tournament, but you're going to dilute the audience as a result. You know, We've seen it with, with racing. Half the people don't even know the Melbourne Cup well, they missed the Melbourne Cup because Channel 10 do it for four days of the year and everyone still thinks it's on Channel 7. You know what I mean? People have their habits. Mm, absolutely. Um, so I was watching cricket on Amazon Prime and, yep, I think um, it would be interesting to see how that deal plays out if, if a lot of people actually switch on to World Cups going forward because it's a huge change. It's a massive change. And, you know, I touched on it before. You know, I'm a cricket tragic. You're a cricket tragic. We'll, we'll find it. We know it's on. We're not going to miss it. But there are people that, oh, I love the cricket, but also I'm happy to watch a movie and, um, you know, watch something else. So, what, but the other the ones... What about the one-dayers and the T20 internationals, men, as mm. that have just been behind the paywall? I reckon they've suffered in terms of relevance. You knew when they were on back when they were on free-to-air. Maybe I'm misjudging. No, I agree. I agree. I think that's a huge mistake in the broadcasting deal. I know Fox had to get something exclusive, but I think that's been terrible for the white ball game. Absolutely shocking. And and I think it's reflected in the crowds because they get nobody to these games now. You talk about the crowds to the women's game, the crowd to the, the men's internationals, White Ball International is now pathetic. I mean, the MCG, they might not even get 10,000 there for the one-day international they're playing on Friday. Um, you know, unless Matt Short's, you know, everybody Matt Short's ever met turns up, um, he's gonna re- they're going to really struggle. So I agree with you. That's, you know, because, you know, the visibility of the, those games are taken away and you, th- you don't think, oh, I'll just go down there. Um, I'd love to go to the cricket and watch that. So, yeah, big mistake. Something positive, though, Cricket Gold by Cricket Australia yes. on YouTube. I think that's my new favourite channel just of anything ever. Like it, last night I just put it on. It's it, perfect. It's just playing old cricket highlights 24 hours a day. It's a dream come true. 
That was my uh, nomination for this segment as well. Cricket gold. I've been watching it the last couple of nights. I don't know if it has, because I I have a look at the, it has a streaming number of how many people are watching at a certain time. And look, admittedly, I'd probably watch it weird hours of the night. It doesn't seem like it's that many, but I suppose maybe it's the response to a degree from Cricket Australia to, you know, Robert Linder had a fantastic cult following and he probably made it easy for the viewers out there because he'd clip up certain funny things that he'd pick mm. out from obscure series and you're like, what, that actually happened? Or oh, I remember that, but I forgot about it for a long period of time, you know. Um, so maybe it's a response to the growing, because they have a big archive, I think, and it's just a matter of using it. There is an audience out there for nostalgia. I think people mm. don't probably put a lot of emphasis on that enough. I mean, look at when they had, on Fox, they had the World Series Classics 15 years ago. A lot of people watched that. So I think, like, yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's an audience out there, albeit niche. I think there's an audience for that. It just probably needs time to develop, but I love it as well. Yeah, I think there's a, um, well, there's a whole new sort of, um, s- sort of style of digital channel where something's just on repeat the whole time. Like there's, you know, the Cheers channel or the Friends channel. Like there's lots yeah. of these where it's just on all the time. And so this Cricket Gold, I think, is part of that sort of um, evolution of, of the way. Does it cost much to put on there? Probably not. I mean, it's streamed to YouTube. I think it's streamed to Samsung TVs. Like it's 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 probably across quite a few platforms. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so that's both our nominations as well. Can't yeah, you got the go. archive. Why not use it? Yeah, I like it. Damien, thanks for joining me on Cricket Unfiltered. It's been great to catch up. Um, where can the listeners find you on, say, Twitter? Uh, at Damo underscore Watts, because a lot of the Damien Watsons have been taken. You can't have that duplication. Yep. So at Damo, so D-A-M-O underscore W-A-T-S. I'm not – I probably should be a bit better with my social media use and be a bit more frequent, but uh, I put stuff up on there every now and again. Great. Well, Damien, thanks so much for coming on the show. And listeners, thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back soon with another episode. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.